Hey everybody, this is Jess and you're listening to another episode of the Dale and Jess Show. All right, happy, well, what is it? Is it evening? Well, it's evening for us. Mm-hmm. It might be whatever morning or afternoon for anyone else. And this is a special episode. It's our fifth episode, but it's a special one because we just did one. And we have two guests, um, along with my wonderful co-host, Jess. Say hi to the people, Jess. <laughs> so, um, along with, with, with Jess here, we have two wonderful um, co-hosts um, with us who are guests, good friends, and we'll allow them to Introduce themselves, who they are, what they're about, and then we'll get down to the business of what this special episode is about. So, um, Lola, let's start with you. Hello again, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be here. My name is Lola, and I um, am the guest facilitator of No Shame Movement website at um, the platform for people to share stories of um, unlearning uh, harmful uh, conservative beliefs about sexuality. And I do other things too. You do lots of other things. (laughs) I do all the things. All the things. Yes, all the things. (laughs) And next up, uh, well, Lola, you're a special guest, but you're not a... In my house, if you come to my house more than twice, <laughs> then that means you're not really a guest anymore. And so, I mean, it's like the last time you get like the red carpet. So the next time, um, can I go through the fridge? <laughs> yes. If you ask for anything, I'm just going to be like, what do you mean? Just go get it. <laughs> um, just make sure so, you don't yeah. open any, any unopened bottles of juice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet, don't. But what's the rule? Don't open it, don't crush it, don't kill it. Those are the rules in, in the house that we had with, with a, a bunch of other uh, frat brothers in the house. Don't open it, don't crush it, don't kill it. Right, those are our rules. As long as you do that, we're fine. So our next guest, would you like to allow her to introduce herself? I am Keisha McKenzie. I live on Twitter as McKenzie. And, um, I intersect with a couple of communities on Twitter. Um, I guess, PhD, post-Twitter, uh, or alternate academic Twitter, uh, Q-Faith Twitter, the queer and faithful Twitter, and uh, the LGBTQ community. And when the sun's in the sky, I'm usually working with Believe Out Loud. Okay, great. Thank you. So we're going to have a great conversation. So what brings us all together today, um, what was it? Earlier this week, this happened, or was it? Or last week, this happened. It was the day. It was a week ago today because I was gonna comment on it. Like after we finished, wrapped up our last one, and I saw the story on Twitter, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, like stuff happened right after. It's so, like it's weird because the, we try to do the show like every other week. Mm-hmm. But stuff happens sometimes so fast, it's like, oh, wow, we didn't get 
Um, but so Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, or as you can see, maybe the the, um, the second command to the to Dark Side's army. Um, he said that he does not. He doesn't have. Well, he's not found alone with any other woman besides his wife. And so, again, proving that most people, well, not most, but many people have no idea what Christian culture, particularly conservative Christian culture does. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> Everybody's like, what do you mean you don't do that? However, for those of us who were used to these type of cultures, exactly where... Like, we know plenty of people who have done that rule. Probably have done that rule ourselves, and we even know where it comes from. And it comes from something called the Billy Graham rule, which is actually a kind of big deal in these circles. So, Lola, I think the way you described it before was really great. So, could you explain to the listeners uh, what the Billy Graham is and where it came from? Oh, when I talked about it on Twitter? Yes. You did a good job talking about it. I remember what I said. <laughs> yeah, so um, Billy Graham rule, and for folks, um, well, like if folks aren't um, familiar with Billy Graham, um, he uh, was one of he was uh, is um, prominent uh, televangelist. Is he still alive? alive? He's alive. He's alive. Okay. Yeah, he's like ninety thousand. I didn't know if he had died. His wife died. Yes, okay, his wife. Died. His wife had passed. Yeah. But um, so Billy Graham, um, uh, he uh, a prominent uh, evangelist. He held lots of um, revivals uh, from like the fifties through the eighties um, or nineties yes, through the eighties. Um, through the eighties, yeah, yeah. He was advisor to um, several presidents, uh, I think, including both Bushes, um, and. Uh, Nixon and I'm blanking. There's another one he was really close to, but yeah, he was pretty close to power, um, probably since like the fifties. And, um, he, uh, and the thing about him is what, what he was doing when he first started out, he started out with youth for Christ. Um, and people weren't really like, Preaching to the rapping to the kids, yo, back then, you know, like churches try to do now, like talk to young adults, like people don't think that was really a big thing. And so he was like super charismatic and was packing all these things, all these um, places. Um, and basically, you know, hell, it was kind of hellfire and brimstone kind of stuff. It started out, um, but he was really captivated. He is really captivating. So um, he was also pretty easy on the eyes um, back then. Um, feel a little weird admitting that. It's like having a crush on your friend's dad. Um, well, great grandfather in this case. Yeah, and... exactly. Um, See, that's the thing. But well, I mean, for the times, he was he was a looker for the times. He was definitely nineteen twenty. So wait, he was what, like a Christian Mickey Rourke or Marlon Brando? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like a Jimmy. Like the, he's like the precursor to a lot of the folks that we see now. He's he's tall, hair, very personable, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so, um, 
he was, you know, he's doing all this stuff. He's traveling all over the world. Um, and you know how it is, you know, um, it is in the church when you got, you don't even have to be good looking, but you know, it is when people, when pastors are, um, charismatic and women feel feelings and all that stuff. So, um, and I don't say this to defend the rule, but when I was talking about it and I, you know, I was going back and looking at footage, I'm like, I kind of get it. Um, he's away from his family a lot. Um, and, and knowing how church women are around, um, folks like that, maybe not as overt back then, but, um, he basically decided, uh, and there were other pastors at the time, I guess other evangelists who had been caught up in scandal. Jim Baker. And so this was, this was before Jim Baker. Much, much earlier. Yeah, because yeah, this, this was in 19... So I'm hearing different... It was either 1948 or 1949, uh, depending on the source. I hear two different things. But, like, basically, he was in California with um, some other pastors, and they sat down and put together this, like, manifesto of four rules. Um, and the other ones were actually pretty interesting and kind of relevant if you think about... Um, the Dorito dictator that's in our office right now, in our White House right now. But um, the the most the rule that got all the attention is um, not being alone with any woman um, who wasn't his wife uh, ever um, in any setting. It was a crowded room or whatever. Like just not like not having meals, um, things like that. Um, it's apparently a rule he still follows to this day. Apparently, like because he has. Uh, 24-hour, uh, um, he needs 24-hour um, nursing care. And apparently there is, uh, there are two, I guess. Or there's a chaperone there's a nurse, when the nurse comes in to take care of him. So he really takes that to some extremes. Um, and one of the things, uh, and another, there's, there's another sort of interesting sort of rumor that came out at the time, um, people, there was there was reports that when they would travel around, like his people or his you know entourage or whatever, when they go to a hotel room, they would first check the closets under the bed, uh, apparently for naked women, um, hiding with maybe someone with a camera, I guess to get a gotcha pose, like look, he's this Billy Graham with a naked woman, um, and like I guess to extort money or whatever or to catch him in a scandal. I've heard rumors that there were there was one or two times where there was an actual naked woman in his hotel room waiting. Um, but yeah, so um, after that, he got together with these pastors and said, "Look, um, no, you need to like not act up. So um, this is how we avoid scandal." Um, and the other two rules, there were other rules, like there were four rules altogether. Um, this one got all the attention, but the other ones were, um, you know, be, uh, responsible with the money that you're, that you're, you're donated. Um, cause you know, pastors get love offerings. Um, be nice to local church leaders. Don't, um, get into conflicts with them or criticize them. And, um, my favorite, my absolute favorite, uh, don't exaggerate successes um for example uh the size of the crowd at one of your um events 
like um, if you held a revival, um, you know, we can draw our own conclusions to who that might apply to. Um, but that's one of the rules, like, don't exaggerate your crowd sizes. And I'm like, huh. Um, so, but, so yeah, so that is, uh, the Billy Graham rule. And like I said, I, I kind of, I kind of get it, um, for that context for someone, first of all, for someone to be doing what he's doing, um, which not a whole lot of people were doing and he's good looking and he's charismatic and he's away from his family and it's 1940s and 1950s, um, you know, where you don't have the same access to media. So, you know, now we see a photo um, and then 10 other people um, can show what actually happened, you know, in social media. We can kind of sort behind the story. But so I can I can kind of understand um, why, you know, in that context, it might be necessary. Um, and so then, yeah, so that's the. And I remember hearing, I don't remember hearing the title, so maybe I was a little bit older, like high school, but I do remember hearing that, um, in particular with pastors growing up, um, hearing that rule. Yeah, um, I do not know, I mean, I've known you to explain the Billy Graham rule, but I was never told in church that it was a Billy Graham rule or any type of program. It was just. This is what you do. This is how you behave and conduct. And then it went to other types of activities. And then, you know, don't talk to people on the phone at night yes. and things like that. Um, Keisha, do you have anything to add um, uh, to that? Or is there a thought about what you said or, or, or any other piece that um, you want to fill in there? Yeah, I, I think I just want to comment on the... I guess our perception of the 1940s, 50s, before the so-called sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, I think like it's easy to assume that because of the way that people took photographs even, they weren't as sexually expressive as people are today, when it's very obvious to us the way that people interact with each other, um, we're having vigorous open debates about what families should look like, how marriages should be handled and set up. And I think it's really easy, especially in the Christian context, to assume there was this golden age where husbands and wives didn't, um, they weren't openly physically expressive, or people who were in positions of physical authority didn't have very vibrant relationships some of them inappropriate. Um, and so, like, even if we say for the time it was uh, an important thing for this particular person, which I do agree with, um, I'm thinking of characters that were in the preceding generation to Billy Graham, um, like uh, Henry Ward Beecher, who was like a congregationalist preacher who had um, such really wild relationships that he ended up being uh, taken to court and put on trial for adultery. And then, like, the other day, um, I was reading about Amy Semple McPherson, who was a female uh, wandering evangelist in the Pentecostal tradition, who had, like, three husbands back in the 18, early 1900s. Um, and, in the, and for that era, 
it was unusual, but I guess I'm just using those two examples to show that there's probably always been within the American religious context this anxiety around who has sex with whom, who and how religious leaders carry their relationships. Um, and this fear of putting the church under the microscope because of how the spiritual leader conducts themselves, I think that's always been there. Um, and and if you, even if you think about books like, or stories like mm-hmm. The Scarlet Letter, um, where you had this, these characters who were very, very pious in their respective traditions, and, and it was part of that piousness that set up the neurosis or the anxiety that creates the story and makes it really interesting. It's like background to the story. Um, and so, like, I think it's just the the sense of the eras and the way that they handled sexuality back then, the way that we handle it today. The, sc- the scandal isn't new, I guess is what I'm saying. And the, and the fear of scandal. As I like especially, look at it in the context, because, like, you should just said, I think that it's the idea that it was once upon a time. And if you, all you do is look at TV, you'll think that's the case, right? Um, you know, father knows best, so leave it to mm-hmm. leave it, all those types of things kind of portray this image. Um, even the, I mean, I've known people even realize like the, um, the, um, the, 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 the Lucy show, not the Lucy show, the one, the one before the Lucy show. Uh, what was that? Mm-hmm. I Love Lucy. Yeah. God, one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows and I didn't quite get it. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of, of those things was that, you know, when they showed the inside of their bedroom and they had the two separate beds, um, and even though to us mm-hmm. that might seem like not a big deal, but that was huge. That was risque. And when she even had a baby, they never said the word, oh, she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know? But even the fact that she did that, this, this white lady with this you know, um, brown husband, and you're seeing inside their bedroom, um, this idea, you get this idea, this notion that it, it was a way that it really wasn't. But I think particularly, again, keeping the Billy Graham rule in its context, um, particularly conservative American Christianity, um, for, for much of its history, not all, um, but for much of its history, particularly you know, when you get to the 1800s, culture was spinning away from it. And so they did everything they could to put their stake in the ground. Um, and so you'll see a lot of the same arguments and people were doing a lot of the same things that we see today. Like Keisha said, it's just that we often don't see them talked about or they're not discussed blatantly. Like for example, you listen to some of our parents' old songs. They're just as vulgar and sexually expressive as some of the songs you hear today. It's just that it's written in poetry or, or it's written in a certain way. Um, that it's you can kind of neglect the fact that this person is talking about having rough, wild sex if you use flowery language. Now, today, we'll just say exactly what it is we want to do right. in, in graphic terms. Um, but I think that, that I think that's important, though, to really say that this is what it was in context and what the intention was behind his rule, because that rule could be taken in other ways. So, so Jess, can you talk a little bit about how? you think that rule works today and does it work or does it not work today? Okay. Um, I think it only like Lola said, 
it makes sense when you hear about the context in which um, Graham came up with these, like these mantras, these four four mantras or codes to go by as an evangelist. Um, I think the issue becomes in though is that it kind of actually forces things to go underground even further because it puts all of the responsibility um, on the other person and it opens the door for a scapegoat because if you say, well, um, well, they were, you know, she, she followed me, you know, she stopped me or always showed up where I was or, um, you know, this is, this is the boundary and this is my stake in the state, the saying, but it's not addressing the fact that you're saying that you cannot be around someone of the opposite sex that is not someone that you're married to because they are a a threat. And it also does some, I mean, it also stereotypes single people. Because you're saying, well, if they're single, then no, there's going to be temptation there. And it's like, like that doesn't really work because the, I mean, from what I recall, I thought temptation has to come from desire and a person doesn't create, a person's existence doesn't create desire. You already have to have the desire in you. So I don't know. I just think that it's it's really jacked up. And more often than not, because this, in my observation, everything is coded and everything's never straightforward. You see this rule being used to basically, in my opinion, do a lot of blocking and do a lot of manipulation. So I'll give you a classic, I'll give you an example. So let's say you have a um, uh, a preacher in his church or whatever, and he tells his, you know, his leaders as a part of his particular ministry they can't, you know, like you said before, Riddell, they can't talk late on the phone at night. They can't be in the same room with someone that's not, um, that they're not, you know, married to or independent on some circles. They're, you're not courting this person. You're not engaged to this person. And even if you are, there has to be a chaperone. And what if that's called for? Well, I really just don't want these two people together so let me just say it's that (laughs) let me just say well they're a stumbling block so let me institute this rule so I just think it it just really is problematic because that type of behavior leads on to really dysfunctional stuff because this person is not going to be in church 100% 100% of the time, unless you're like in ministry 24-7 and that's your, your literal job, you're not going to be at church all the time. You know, so what are you going to do when that moment happens? I mean, I think, yeah. 
Go ahead. And and I think. Oh, uh, well, and I I I think um, it. I think you're right. I think the scapegoating thing is absolutely right. Um, you are you are scapegoating the other person, and usually the woman. Um, when you're doing something like that, and also, um. I'm just, I'm trying to imagine a world where you're that, uh, imagine being that afraid of your impulses all the time. Like that's, and we've talked about that, you know, with purity culture, you know, I've had these discussions in the past. Um, It's about being afraid of your impulses. Um, And like, I don't know, like, who was it that put, um, who was I talking to? We were talking about baby gates, like well, putting baby gates everywhere gates or something. I can't gates. think of a better metaphor. You remember that? Like, like, oh. that yeah. You have to protect the gates. Yeah. So you Covenant have to protect your, your eye gate and your ear gate. And you can't let the wrong mm-hmm. words come out of your mouth gate or some, but all, it's all types of gates. It's like an airport or something. Right. So. Right. I know exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about. Like there was mm-hmm. actually, I can't remember. There was like a day of prayer or something on the mall years ago, and they actually had like software called Covenant Eyes, based on the scripture. So yes, I'm not kidding. I'm not. I kidding. remember what? those. It was the porn blockers. I had yep. so many people I know had those. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, oh yeah. And and what you do, I particularly with, with with you know the guys in the group, what you do is. So you get your accountability partner, which I love that word for all the oh, wrong reasons. Oh, yes, the APs. You, you get your accountability partner mm-hmm. to put in the code mm-hmm. so that way they can't break it. So that way you can be holy and not go on porn with your computer. Yes, I remember. And can I just share like a couple quick stories too? Because I like to share this whenever this comes up, this whole covenant with your eyes thing. Um, uh, first of all, like the whole yes. thing with men are visual is bullshit. Um, men are more visual than women. It's, it's been, I mean, that's been disproven. Like, I just, I, I never understood why people still hold on, hold on to that. Um, like otherwise, why does Keanu Reeves Man. have a movie career? Um, <laughs> um, Listen, I will sit and watch uh, two hours of him eating. Come on. Oh, okay. Like I will sit now. I will sit for two hours and watch Keanu Reeves like read the back of a cereal box, and I'll pay twelve (laughs) dollars for that. Um, don't get me wrong, but um, I've okay. So I teach, um, and I teach adults, and um, well, first off, it's twofold. I've taught minors in the past, and with minors, that's another thing that disturbs me when people talk about that gaze with um, seeing, like, teenagers. It's like, you know what? In my head, they're minors, so that's just turned off. Like, like no. It's the same, like, the way you would look at someone who's um, related to you. Well, no, that's a minor, so therefore, they're a minor. But when, even when I taught adults, and I'm not going to lie, every now and then, you know, you have that one student comes in, and you're like, um... Okay, uh, I'm gonna look else. Like you know, <laughs> you know, you have that one or two students. I've had that happen before, um, and it's mm-hmm. particularly difficult. I was in a in a small classroom, um, and the student's like 25. Um, you know, nice looking, nice looking kid, very um, polite, 
a really compelling story. Um, it was an ESL class, so compelling story of how he got to the U.S. Um, and he's a, nice, he's a good-looking dude. And the first two weeks, I was a little bit distracted. Um, like, yeah, like I like to the point where I was like, okay, like I would have to address everyone, but it took me a couple weeks. But at the but when it came down to it, I'm a prof- I am a professional. And he was right. there to learn, so I got the hell over it. <laughs> um, and if I look at him now, yeah, he's still attractive, but right. in context, it's like, but I'm still going to do my job and teach him. I'm not going to kick him out of class or tell him he's right. causing me to stumble when all he's doing is sitting there existing. Um, like, and the point is, you have to be in, there's at some point you have to be an adult. Um, and just say, okay, this is distracting, but I still need to do my job, so I'm going to do it. Um, instead of removing right. the other party that's doing nothing more than existing. Um, now, I've had a parent-teacher conference in the past where I had a, parent, I had a dad that came in um, that had arms the size of tree trunks and, um, and a tight shirt on. And... <laughs> And again, it's one of those things like, you know, like, I think the thing is when you, being afraid of your impulses, like those two examples, like I could not imagine how I would have dealt if I had that mentality of being frightened of my impulses and my desires or lustful thoughts all the time. I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Um, but and and. But there's a point where you just, I, you know, I had to make it, you have to make a decision and it's possible. Um, it's absolutely possible to make that decision. You make that decision every day. And um, I, you know, I think, you know, this thing is implemented. I think it's about control, um, you know, about, you know, controlling others. I also think, honestly, um, Christian conservative Christian men have a really, really great setup where they have, they are devoid of accountability um, <laughs> um, at all costs. It's like that's experience. really what that's about um, is just being like, they'll talk, they'll throw that around. But if you go around thinking that you, um, all your, you serve your desires and you can't ever get a hold of them, that. That that um yeah, like you said, like you like like you said, just like it it helps you um create scapegoats in others and yeah, it helps you escape accountability yep. yourself. Because that person calls you to stumble. And they're starting to backpedal a little bit. I've noticed um the Purity Culture Brigade um is starting to backpedal and trying to be like, Oh yeah, guys, yeah, stop it. But <laughs> they still focus on the women, um and what we need to do, what we need not do. But yeah, it's a pretty sweet setup, honestly. If you look at the way all of that um, works with purity culture and um, the Billy Graham rule and stuff, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty um, sweet Keisha, setup. Do you have anything to add? We haven't heard from you in a bit. Yeah. Well, I was listening. I was, I was wrapped with that story. Because I, I, the part of it that I resonate with is thinking about how these rules that, as Jess said, block people's access to, I guess, support and care that they might need. 
mm-hmm. how that how that impacts not only the person who doesn't get to practice the discipline of doing their job despite being potentially distracted by somebody who's attractive. It also affects mm-hmm. the people that they might mentor but can't because of this rule. And that kind of gets into the weeds for um, women who are training to do ministry or uh, counseling in a religious environment. And it also affects yep. like congregants who might need to talk to the minister at some point, but are effectively discouraged either from doing so, from reaching out to them, so they get funneled to another person on the staff, which I guess is okay if that person is just as competent. But I mean, like, why should there be three or four back channels for um, ministerial and- service just because pastor doesn't know how to focus? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when you're and when you're training professionally, um, so like for the, the junior or associate minister who's female and has to be in spaces, professional spaces where they're interacting with married men typically. Um, or if you are a gay person who is in the junior position in a leadership um, mentorship relationship, like how does that affect this rule? Because um, you're not a woman and you're not hiding under the bed, but Pastor probably shouldn't be alone with you still, or how does that work? Um, and so there are all sorts of consequences for like how people get their training, how congregants get their um, mentoring and support. And I, I think like it's it's those secondary Im- implications of rules like these that are intended, well intended to honor somebody's marital relationship. But there are consequences for other people that are not in the relationship and don't want anything to do with the right. relationship, and nobody seems to I really be me, addressing those implications. Um, coming at it as a gay man and someone who's done history, it's interesting because, like all of us are saying, boundaries in and of themselves aren't silly. Um, you know, even now, I mean, I'm I'm in a relationship. Right. There's some there's some conversations, situations. I don't entertain. Um, I also teach at a couple of universities. Um, I, I don't have access to my own office, something like that. And when I do, um, depending on the situation, I tend to like to leave something open, unless it's sensitive information. And even then, I'm just trying to make sure that it's just some of this stuff just makes professional sense. Um, and I totally get, like, particularly as you know, if you are traveling and you're tired and you're preaching and you have all these other obligations on you. And sometimes you just want someone, you know, you might want to reach out to someone, a, a, a shorter lay on or whatever. And hey, people want boundaries set up so that way they don't make a mistake. They don't, well, I won't say mistake. I think calling a mistake is bad, but it's people set up boundaries so that way they, it makes it harder to do actions that they'll regret later. Okay. It gets to a point though, mm-hmm. when it becomes silly and it actually hinders people's growth. It means that you don't know yourself enough to know how to control yourself. Um, you don't need to have sex to live. <laughs> you won't die. If you learn to tell yourself no, but like Lola said, if you're taught to be afraid of your impulses, that means you never actually deal with them, which means you never know how to put them in their rightful place. And so the instant you feel horny, you feel like you got to do something about it or go hide in the room in the closet somewhere. And those are your only two options. If you if you've never actually been taught how to deal with your 
desires right. with your impulses with your feelings but most people in Christian situations are not taught to right. they're taught that the flesh is bad and that you have to somehow busy yourself or ignore it or do something else but you're not really taught to deal with it and so when they when people get in these situations and i think this goes to the next piece and i'm not saying this to excuse anything but when you don't have these conversations about what sex is how to control yourself what consent is, you open up a much wider door um, for sexual assault, you know, and in many directions, because no one is talking about what consent is. No one is talking about what self-control is. No one is talking about these things. And again, it doesn't excuse the people who, who do these things. So not all am I excusing them. I'm looking at the culture that we kind of create. If you never have a situation like I've been to plenty of men's ministry meetings and I hated I've hated them all. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. Um, there has not been one men's ministry meeting that I've been to, and I've even helped to lead some of them, and I've hated them all. All of them were terrible for me. I'm not saying they weren't good somehow, something for somebody else. For me, my whole life could have done without all of those. Um, but in these conversations, you're you I cannot recall a time when something that can, like consent was discussed, respecting women's boundaries was discussed. I mean, if you were to bring up lately that, uh, that somebody would have assaulted a woman, and again, it was, it was always the assumption it would be a heterosexual situation. It was never any, because gay men don't exist, of course, because Christ lives and in them. Right. And so you can't be gay, of course. Um, no, oh, yes, and men can't be raped either, right? So it's, that, that's the thing, too. Um, and so, of course, none of these things happen. So, but if you were to bring up that, oh, hey, this brother was too fort with a woman or whatever, it's not like they wouldn't say anything, you know. But this idea of, oh, wait a minute, you don't really know what consent is. Oh, I've all I've been telling you since you were twelve is, you know, I've been giving you every man's <laughs> battle to read. I've been telling you not to jerk off. I've been giving you. Um, you know, pornography bloggers, I gave you the Jesus Loves Porn Star Bible, all these types of things, but I never actually taught you how to deal with your own shit. I never actually taught you how to handle your your body and yourself in healthy ways that um, that enrich you and don't harm other people. And so you get in these situations where no one knows what they're doing, and so stuff happens. And again, I know I keep saying it, but I'm not excusing it at all. No one seems to know because no one talks about right. it. No one is taught how to do these things. And as a minister for myself, like I've set up boundaries and things like that, but you blatantly see how they preference the male over, over, over women and how it really creates a really ugly situation that, again, like a boundary is good, but it goes to such an right. extreme that you can't do and anything you, about it. Depending so. on what circle you're in, there is no, like, there's no middle, there's no gray area. It's either sexual attraction, um, bad, um, must be suppressed, or, oh, we need to go take a cold shower and wait till your wife gets home. <laughs> like, there's no, I mean, there's no middle ground whatsoever. And I think it's interesting because <laughs> it seems like a woman's sexuality is so, it's, it's so much to be feared. And it's so, because of this type of, like what Lola was saying about conservative men, you know, having like a predator's paradise, as I call it, but 
having carte blanche to basically do whatever and using this rule as their so-called accountability when it's really non-existent. Um, but I see it more along the lines of the fact that it's also a subtle way to control um, female sexuality as well. In other words, because I don't know anything about it, it's to be feared. It's a threat. It's a threat to my my masculine my masculine identity, and so it has to be shut down. It's a Jezebel speech, whatever you want. Which leads to the next part because that's the part that I think that we need to talk about next for a while because I think all of us are agreeing that hey, in context, this doesn't really seem all that bad. Is that kind of what we're saying a little? Or is that just me saying it? I think if in, well, I think in the context of Billy Graham's choice to honor his relationship and figure out ways for him that he could make sure his relationship stayed sound despite his schedule, despite the pressures on him and the attention and, and all of that. He was, he was trying to be reasonable within his frame. And his frame, um, like his theological frame, was inherently set up so that it both... Um, it, it assumed some of that anxiety around sexuality that we've been talking about. But he, was, he, was, he did his best, basically, is what, what I think I'm saying. It's that I'm, not, I'm not mad at him for creating the rule. I think what I'm... I'm challenged by is the way that people in our context are applying the rule without taking responsibility for the ways that the rule hurts other people. But if you need to set up a hedge for yourself, all well and good, but recognize that you're not in isolation, but you're in a context with other people. And sometimes that is a great way of putting it. Damage yeah. I think that that's, that's exactly where I am. I don't, it makes sense for what he was doing. He was stepping out to an arena that he was not familiar with, and he was trying his best to protect his stuff um, and to protect the people and the things that matter to him. Uh, but the way that we carry it out now, and, and I think what's important though is that there's still, like you said, there's still that that stuff around sex that is still in there somewhere. Um, but this is him doing his best to to handle his own situation. Um, but when you extend it out. To what we do now like i mean even for me like i've been in situations where um let's say it's a pool party and and everyone's at the pool and it's florida and it's you know nice outside the beach ladies please wear only one piece bathing suits you know please don't make your your brothers stumble once in a while i'll talk about the men you know if you have muscles pulling the shirt or something but usually it's about the women you know make sure that your bathing suit is a certain way um, you know, um, you know, it just all types of situations um, that that we can see. And so I guess my question is, where do we go from here? Like people, people didn't really know about this rule. Like they didn't know, like so many people did not know, one, that this was a thing. And people didn't even really know. Now it's like, well, OK, well, we know what this is. So what do we do about it? Like how like what are some steps that we can take? To begin to steer things maybe in a, in a different, um, healthier direction? Oh, one thing I also want to um, point out um, that 
got a little bit buried in some of the um, pieces uh, to a certain extent. Yep. Um, Diana Anderson actually was among the first I thought that, to point this out. Yep. The avoiding appearance of evil wrote. Um, and that's and when I was thinking about um, particularly you know this being 1948 or 49 and people's access to media that's the other thing I kept in mind um like avoiding the like you know any he was trying to avoid you know not just temptation but also like you said you know the naked woman hiding yeah. in the in the yeah um any kind of look Billy Graham's with a naked woman or look Billy Graham's with his mistress so um so I think that even that so avoiding the appearance of evil um i think it made sense in that context too um and but that also you know that kind of carried that came along with the rule um and it's important to kind of address um how like in a lot of conservative circles they're still kind of obsessed with but what will the neighbors think like what will people think and at some point you have to decide, um, but nothing's happening. So is someone else thinking X, Y, and Z, how is that going to affect me and my life? <laughs> um, and my ability to prosper. And I've definitely been in a lot of circles where the obsession with that, um, you know, avoiding the appearance of evil, um, has definitely gone um, to really like absurd lengths, like um, mm-hmm. like living in a house, like me living in a house with men and women. Um, now I've been chastised for that. Um, well, let's you know, it's like, and I trust me, nothing was going on. <laughs> um, and but it, it's just kind of that, like. I don't know, it's just kind of that obsession with it's almost like that it's kind of like a carryover from the fifties, I think. Um, or carryover from, you know, I think there was a time when appearances were a much bigger deal. Um and I think overall society has kinda gotten away from that, or at least le- to a lesser extent. And I feel like the evangelical world I'll still give you a good example holding of that. that. I, I wonder if you watch an um, old episodes of Bewitched with Mrs. Kravitz, the neighbor, and in a number of old TV shows, you'll see that it's always about the neighbor who sees something unbecoming happening that their people are an- anxiety about. Mm-hmm. So that proves your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think I think in. Church circuits, there's always been that that circle of people who likes to spread stories. And I, I've had some fun experiences in my own life where um, people have seen a photograph, say, on social media, a very innocuous photograph. Yes. And before I know it, like five countries around the planet have this uh, grand right. story about Keisha got married somewhere. And... Keisha did not get married somewhere. Keisha is not married. And and yet, because somebody spread a story and people just are idle and like to tell stories and like to make up things and like to use information to control other people, that kind of 
it does spin around trip circuits and, and people are fearful of the backlash of them having to explain this is true, that is not true. Um, and if there's like even the hint of a situation that people don't understand entirely, then it's like it, der- it derails your process. So you're just out there living your life. Somebody sees a photograph and all of a sudden the next six months of your life are taken up explaining this particular story. But I think to Lola's point that it was both easier and harder for people to share information that way. So um, say you were talking about the way that you would take a photograph of the woman under the bed and then it would be hard to explain that in the newspapers the next day, but you have the five witnesses to um, Keisha at a parade versus at a district courthouse. And so it's, it's almost easier to rebut some of these stories. Um, and you can do it fairly quickly in some cases. Um, so you don't have to be quite as afraid of gossip, but it still has a really outsized impact on, on evangelical leaders and, and church folk. Um, so I kind of I kind of get the fear from both sides right. and the frustration from both sides around having to collapse your life almost because other people have ideas that don't match reality. Well, that's very true. I think one one cool thing that I'm noticing, that I think sometimes gets set to the side, is the media and um, and in and, and Christianity in America, I think that too often gets left on the wayside. And that how, particularly with, with, I can never say this word right, and I've written so much about it, particularly with evangelicals, like I always stutter when I say that, like I can, I have to like pause and like think before I say it. Um, <laughs> with, with that group of people, their ability to use media and communicate is one of the reasons why they've been around so long and have been so effective. However, that is met with Sometimes they're behind the eight ball when it comes to adopting technology because it's this other part of it which kind of wrestles with how much of the world do we adopt. We'll adopt just enough to stay relevant, but we can't adopt too much, you know? And this is like the push and pull. I mean, and I mean, this is, if you're interested, you know, read about stuff like the Scopes trial and things like that, and you'll see some of where these common things um, come from. But Media really plays a big, important part in why they were able to be so successful. Like, Billy Graham was all over the radio. And everywhere he went, he was on the front page. And so religion took up, believe it or not, an even bigger, well, I won't say necessarily bigger, religion was covered and handled differently in his time. And so while, I'm going to say that again. It became a marketing project. Yes, it was a marketing project. And it became a marketing And so, project. like, today, for example, if, I mean, in, in D.C., I mean, in, in, in the summertime, there's revivals and all sorts of famous pastors, some of you see it on TV, will be at churches in D.C. Um, this summer. They're not going to make the front page. No one really cares like that. In Billy Graham's time, though, if he comes to a town, he's going to be the front page story. And so these things matter. And so like, you know, like a couple of you said, like, you know, there's a random picture that's taken and things like that. And listen, someone who's, as someone who's been in ministry like that before, strange things do happen. I've heard stranger than a naked woman, naked woman popping up in someone's room, you know, like these things happen. I mean, if you look just, I mean, so many things happened, you know, and so it makes, it makes sense. But I just think for today, 
that anxiety about you know gender separation and about and our ideas about purity and and our ideas about our impulses really serve to make the Billy Graham rule not work out too much. Like I have plenty of friends who are married, and I totally get like you know hey I'm not going to be. Well, I mean, me being gay it makes it a difference because you know I have male friends and you know my partner is a guy, um, <laughs> so it's different. But you know, um, if I know someone has a crush on me, I'm not going to be hanging out with them at ten o'clock at night randomly at the Wendy's or on the. Me- I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and it has a little to do with even me and my. Well, it's just like, well, no, I don't want to give you the idea that this is something more than it actually is. And being in ministry, even with ministry with with um, with um, queer people, it's like the same. I have boundaries up too. Like you know, I never dated anybody who was at the church that I was at leadership. You don't poop where you work. Um, over or any. If I was in a leadership position at that church, like a minister. Nope. Everybody is off limits, and you know, for a lot of people, that is really hard to conceive of. And I've had so many conversations. It's just like, oh my god, but. What if all these other what ifs and contingencies is like the answer is simply no. If it's that deep, one of you all has to leave. And if one of you all <laughs> leaves for this, then this probably is a good because oh one God. of y'all probably or end up on a lifetime movie. If one of you all would leave over this. <laughs> no, but seriously, I you never this is my personal rule too. It always helps me. You <laughs> never pick you never pick sex over money. Never. You never pick sex over money. Money, you pick money every time. And that and to me that rule kind of covers it all. Because it's like, well listen, look, you could be with this person, but what will you lose if you do? And when you start running the tally, literally and figuratively, <laughs> you start to realize how this sex is very expensive. It goes left so really you quickly. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> that is my rule, and it has helped me so much. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, is this really worth it? And I think that's the thing, is that Mm -hmm. we don't talk about healthy relationships. I had a friend who was talking about wanting to pastor a church, and and, and the discussion was, well, I'm not the kind of, you know, know, he was going to have to maybe calm down, quote unquote, his life. Um, And I said, well, why? I said, I I think the reverse is true. I mean, as long as you're not interacting with people at your church, but one of the reasons why we routinely have these issues with pastors and having the, you know, random relationships and, 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 and children with people who they aren't married to and all these other things is because they don't have healthy relationships. And so if you, it's like, well, listen, you need friends, you need peers, you need people you can talk to, lean on, cry on, have sex with, right. all these other things too. And so if you don't have any of that, you're going to leave yourself, right. again, it doesn't excuse anything you do. But it makes you an unhealthy person, and unhealthy people do unhealthy things. Um, and, and I think that's something that we are honest about. Because again, it's like, what if you're single and a guy, and, oh, un- the and you know, and, be, and a woman there be, is there? There will be so many mitigating circumstances. The rule still applies, but why? If you're a guy, if you're a straight guy in leadership and ministry, true. And it's true. it's just like. Sorry, I I have a personal pet peeve with that. Um, Very true. But I think it also goes back to when you have toxic beliefs about just relationships in general, like your general beliefs about interacting with human beings, period. 
and what relationships are for. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not really all that much of a surprise that you see this type of, uh, the hot mess express. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the, the thing about it is that, like, we we have the conversation around: do people mm. learn how to manage their sexuality or their sexual desires? And that that's one question. And then another question would be: mm, do people yes. learn how to be intimate without being yes. controlling? Because I think that's the that's the other question. Like when 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 Mike Pence when Mike Pence says. I'm not going to be around any woman um, who is not my wife by myself. That means that the only person in the, in the world that he's learning or practicing um, to be an honest, open, vulnerable human being with, not to be sexual with, but to be an honest, open human being with, is his wife and other men. And so he's never learning how to practice engaging women in a way that's respectful because his only frame for it is either wife or My sex. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's my problem. Like, I, I think, I think that that's what one of the things that we're getting at, and we've been talking around it, but I think that's the heart of it. That we we need spaces, all of us, regardless of um, what our orientations are, regardless of our genders. We yeah. we learn how we. It's better for us to learn how to relate to other other people on all levels, both professional and just in a in a human to human fashion. And and there's a way in which rules like this um kind of take those practice spaces away. And it's it's not necessary and it's not really That's helpful. And, and there's two other Things. We kind of, and we've talked about, you know, the orientation. Um, and I also just want to reiterate, um, you know, for the listeners out there, uh, you know, sexuality is fluid. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, I can't, I can't say that often enough um, to the folks who, I think that like there's a segment of folks that um, are kind of, coming to terms with, oh, okay, so this erases this, that, and the other. Um, But need to remember Mm -hmm. that this can apply to them, too. Um, um, I'm straight. um, If a Gina Torres lookalike was working in the cubicle next to me, um, my husband should be concerned. (laughs) Well, my culture, (laughs) for crying out loud. (laughs) And likewise, if Ooh. someone looking like Chadwick Bozeman, if my husband was going on business trips with someone who looked like Chadwick or uh it's see <laughs> I'd be like, um, y'all staying in separate rooms? <laughs> like we need to we just we really need to remember, um, because I think that also can set people up for oh, well, I'm in the clear because I'm with another woman. It's like, okay, but also recognize, yep. um, you know, as you're, yeah, like just also just recognize that reality as well. And then also um, that monogamy is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the other thing. Um, I haven't 
seen a lot of, I haven't seen any people talk about that. And I, I'm a, the older I get and the more, um, I don't know, divorces that I see, not that divorce is always a terrible thing. I have a lot of friends who are divorced and um, mm-hmm. it was the best decision they ever made. Yep. Relationship with the spouse is better and all that. But at the same time, um, there are mm-hmm. folks that need to recognize when monogamy is not for them. Um, and it's not mandatory. And couples need to be honest with themselves and start there as well. And of course, that that brings up a whole other set of thinking about boundaries and, um, you know, all of that stuff. It's still important. But yeah, couples need to be honest about what kind of relationship works for them. Um, and, you know, what kind of, yeah, what are the things, what are um, things that they can do that are, you know, are consensual, you know, where there's, if there's another consenting party involved or they need to take some time apart or, you know, like, and that's the thing. And that's the biggest thing about also um, what the church teaches about marriage. And um, I put up on my site uh, like a year or two ago, um, this concept called fairy tale myth. Um, And like, just kind of this notion that if you follow these, um, um, this formula, um, then your marriage will work out perfectly. And I definitely would put the Billy Graham rule. I think a lot of people would put that into their formula. Like, well, yeah, if we follow this. <laughs> and I've even seen, I've seen defenses of the Billy Graham rule because I've read a few. I have a column set up on TweetDeck for this. I know. I just don't like prospering. But <laughs> I've been- I've been reading these defenses and I've seen more than one where they're like, they talk about a scandal and they lament, ah, if only they follow the Billy Graham rule. Mm-hmm. What? Like, listen to yourself. Um, and I think that, that to me is really, really sad when grown folks right. really do make that claim. Like, I, I right. feel sad because like, wow, that's um, a really dangerous approach to life. Right. Um, the Billy Graham rule is a back to formula, and if you just follow there's, it, there's X, a Y, and Z won't happen. And if it does, well, you know, it goes because back to you're saying, accountability oh, and escaping well, and all that. I do these things, then my relationship will be good, and I won't have challenges, or I won't have to deal with certain conflicts, or these issues won't come up. And it's like, uh, you do realize that you're choosing to be in a dynamic with another human being who has had a completely different set of experiences, um, learned completely different things, um, and has different ideas about relating versus you. <laughs> like, that doesn't, that's not how any of this works. Like, oh, no, baby, what are you doing? Uh-uh. And it's just really crazy because you're basically you have these folks that kind of do that whole oh well if they had followed this rule they would be they would be they wouldn't be in that situation. It's like um what do you have twenty four hour surveillance? Are you under the NSA surveillance program? Like I mean what what are you eagle eye or something? Like how do you really even know what's going on in that person's relationship to make a claim that strongly to say well if they did this rule then they wouldn't be in that situation. That's really arrogant and presumptuous.
Mm-hmm. Speaking of, um, because this just came up, apparently, <laughs> um, like the timing is amazing. Um, apparently, one of uh, Mike Pence's Secret Service details was caught in a hotel with a sex worker um, in a Maryland hotel. Um, and I, I saw it, a couple were snarky, but I legit see at least one comment. The dude looks sincere, like, well, that tell that showed like, well, Billy Graham rule. See, it makes sense. Like he's basically saying the Billy Graham rule isn't dumb. And it's like, I mean, it, it, it exactly what we're talking about. Like, yeah, because one, you know, it, 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 first of all, it stigmatizes the sex worker. <laughs> And then right. it takes away mm-hmm. the, the fact that this person chose to employ the sex worker. <laughs> right. Right? And I think those are, those are the things that people don't realize. So it's like, no, 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 no. Right. Being a sex worker isn't automatically bad. And, and or this sex worker didn't just magically appear in their room. You know, he had, you know, they had to they find had to the, the sex price. worker. They had to... I initiate mean, contact. They had to procure pain. Like it's lots of steps. It's like you know you don't go right. Yeah, he had to say what he wanted. Like all these things had to happen, and so <laughs> it's like you don't go to the movie theater and watch a whole movie by accident. You meant to do that thing. Um, I just um, wanted to basically so we're, say we're that in terms of the end of our time. Okay. So is there I anything? Any we, final thoughts? You know, that you as we move forward with this, that we drop um, home that sexual attraction is not evil and sexual attraction does not have to immediately be acted upon. Like. Yes. There is okay to have, there is a space between your feeling and your action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, you know why people read, I agree with you. You know how people have a problem with that, though. And people have an issue with that sometimes because it sounds like right. it's only a hop, skip, and a jump from saying right. your feelings, you can change them. Right. No, I get and it. And that's something I that people that. are told, pretend, you know, particularly, just, like, you know, queer folks I'm just more the people that I mean, I know like the same thing, but that's why people sometimes think. And so when I see these types mm-hmm. of workshops and discussions about biblical womanhood and biblical manhood and you know dating and you know boundaries i'm just like just be straight up this is this is not about you you know you wanted to basically you know stay pure this is about the fact that you are sexually attracted to the person and you don't feel like you have enough self-control like just ah it it drives me crazy. Cool. Anybody else? I, I, right. I, I think there's the, the, the personal the, the personal responsibility component of it, right. which would be that even if I do feel some things, it's not the other party's responsibility that I do. Like just because they're attractive. It's not their problem that they're attractive. It's my problem to figure out how I respond yep. to them. And, and, and it would be awesome if I could acknowledge that I feel those things 
without feeling like I am compelled to express them in any specific way. But I can acknowledge them and hold them and respect them and then think about the way that I want to engage that person and treat Mm -hmm. them as a person rather than an object of my desire. But but a lot of the rules that we've set up around desire always make the other person responsible for what I feel. (laughs) And that never ends well. Anyone else? (laughs) Oh, that was everyone. Okay, never mind. Holy Ghost, do you have anything that you need to say? Uh, But no. um, (laughs) But uh, no, I think it's been great. Um, You know, I'll I'll tie up some threads before we sign off. I, I think it's worth talking about again how media plays a part that I think no one really discussed yet. Someone should write yeah. that. Like someone should, someone should write that. Like how, how the difference in the media also <laughs> makes an impact on the Billy Graham rule. Um, someone should write that. Um, that would be great. Um, I'd write it with somebody. <laughs> but I think that I think that's really really All a right. good um, piece. But also, like I, I really like what you said about this. The heart of it is that. We got to learn how to interact with one another um, and deal with our own feelings and passions and emotions without trying to lock them off somewhere. I think that was really helpful as well. Well, that, that's it for this show. Um, I think it went Bye. really well. Um, and thank you all for being here. Thank you all for giving your time. And we will see you all later. Thanks. Bye. Hey, family, thanks for tuning into the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Dell and Jess. That's D E L L. A-N-D-J-E-S-S. And if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever else, um, just not spam, uh, email us at the Dell and Jess Show at gmail.com. Peace.